Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to worship together. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Today's sermon is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. It's there in your bulletin. Perhaps you want to look it up in your Bible. If you have your place, I'll follow along as I read. <clears throat> Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This passage is about prayer. What do people think of when they hear about prayer? There's a lot of popular talk about prayer. A few weeks ago, I read an article uh, that a famous actor put out it, a, uh, an Instagram to his 18 million fans and said, uh, in light of what's going on in the world geopolitically, uh, in every aspect of our culture and what's uh, the troubles in our world, uh, quote, he said, stay prayed up. In order to find peace, you have got to stay prayed up. End quote. Is that what prayer is? Are we like containers that uh, if we don't pray enough, we kind of empty out? Kind of like a gas tank in a car, you got to go filled up every once in a while. And the way you do that is you get prayed up. You, You get worried about things and you go and you pray. Well, there are many misconceptions about prayer. And uh, I'll leave that actor nameless and the church that he's a part of nameless based in Rome. Um, I'm not here today to speak against anyone's views on prayer. All right. Rather, I want us to understand from our text what Paul has to teach us and say to us about prayer. Um, I hope you don't leave here today having heard yet another sermon on prayer or feeling guilty about not praying enough or not praying the right way. I don't want to do that, okay? I want us to be encouraged uh, in prayer. Our passage is in the context of Paul's instruction to the Colossians on practical Christian living, starting in chapter 3 and verse 18. He's talking about wives and husbands and husbands and wives and fathers and children and and children uh, in the home and the workplace, masters and slaves. And then we come to our text here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. But all of this falls under the general principle in uh, Colossians 3, 17 and verse 23. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Also in Colossians 3.1, where Paul tells us to be heavenly-minded, to seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So our earthly responsibility, whatever we do, in word or deed, do all uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, and then the heavenly perspective. And then we come to these practical things. And uh, the last practical thing is how to pray. How to pray. And I think it would be good for us to consider first our motivation for prayer. Um, What is the proper motivation for prayer? Well, I want to ask you a question. When was the first time Paul prayed? You think about the life of the Apostle Paul. When did he first pray? You have to remember that Paul was a deeply religious person. Uh, He was circumcised on the eighth day, like a good Israelite. He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as to the law, he was a Pharisee. He was impeccable from uh, the perspective of Judaism of the day. And Paul had been praying since he was very young. But when was the first time that he prayed, really prayed? And I suggest that it was on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus. You remember Saul of Tarsus, our Paul. And just so I don't get confused, I'm just going to call him Paul, all right? But then he was Saul of Tarsus. And uh, you recall that Stephen was the first martyr in the church. And he there stood while they stoned him to death. The leaders of Israel stoned Stephen to death as Stephen gave his defense and, and spoke of how Christ was the Messiah. And Stephen prayed, God forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as he expired. And, and Paul stood there in hearty agreement with what was going on. In Acts chapter 8 then began with that event a serious and severe persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And the church was scattered. Then you have the account of Philip and where he goes to Samaria and meets the Ethiopian eunuch. But then you come back to Paul again in Acts chapter 9 and he's still breathing out threatenings and murders against the church. And he had sent many away into prison in Jerusalem. But now he goes to the high priest and he wants to go to Damascus uh, with letters to take anyone there in the synagogues who's part of this way. People who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, you know the story. On his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly uh, a light from heaven shone upon him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. And what did the voice say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then here is Paul's first prayer. Who are you, Lord? (laughs) And Jesus said, I I am the one whom you're persecuting. And uh, the bright light and Jesus uh, coming to Paul in the light. uh, Paul is blinded. The others around him heard a voice. Uh, but they they didn't see anything. Um, They had to lead Paul on into Damascus. And in Damascus, his mission now became not to persecute the Christians there, uh, but uh, for three days he was blind. And uh, we're told a little further in Acts chapter 9, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord told him in a vision, Ananias, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man uh, of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He prayed for three days blind. 
what, what just happened to me? What, who are you, Lord? What do you want from me? That was Paul's motivation for prayer. That was Paul's motivation for prayer. From that day forward, for the rest of his life, he wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to know the one who speaks from the light. He wanted to know, and I think this is interesting, the light speaker. The one who brings the word of light. And that light is the life of men. He wanted to know what happened to me. And that was the remainder of his life. His motivation to pray can be summarized in these words. Christ in you, the hope of glory, in Colossians 1.27. From that day forward, he had this presence, the Spirit of God. Later on, then, uh, he was baptized. And the Spirit of God, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias came and prayed for him. And the blindness went away, and like scales fell off of his eyes. And he was baptized, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And thus began the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now before that, he was a very religious man. He did a lot of praying, but now things were different. And uh, he spoke of this in other ways in uh, 2 Corinthians 4. uh, Let the light shine out of darkness that has shone in our hearts. That, That beautiful section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talking about the light and the veil and how Moses came out of the the, uh, the meeting with God glowing and he had to cover his face because the Israelites didn't want to see it because he had been in the presence of God and the light of God was upon him. Well, this same light now had come to Paul and the light had shined in the darkness of his heart and he had become a, a, a repository of what he calls this treasure in earthen vessel, vessels, treasures of in jars of clay. And the surpassing power belonged to God and not to us. Paul speaks of it again in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The Apostle John writes of this conversion. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this, of course, comes from Ezekiel chapter 36, where... Israel is prophesied that that they are dead and they are judged and they are in exile, but God would bring them back and he would take away the heart of stone out of their flesh and put there a heart of flesh, a heart of contrition, a heart that will seek the Lord, and then they will have the Spirit of God with them and upon them. And this is all speaking of the same Event, the same thing that happens to people when they come and God brings them into their king, his kingdom. They are born again. They're converted. Um, we hear people talking about meeting Jesus. We're here about comedians mocking and making fun of. I had a Jesus experience. Uh, all of these things refer to the same crucial, central, heart, profound event that changes people. And. People can make light of it and mock it and make fun of it, but it has this profound meaning. Um, It is a very real thing. And if you are born again and if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After his conversion, Paul was forever thankful to the Lord Jesus that in his mercy he brought him into his kingdom. Before his conversion, he was on the road to Damascus and he was zealously intent on stamping out the Christian of faith. And Paul says later to his apprentice Timothy, Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, 
pointing me to his service, me, a zealous persecutor. Although formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he praises God and says, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is very personal for Paul. This is why in Paul's New Testament prayers, there's always present an echo of thanksgiving and doxology for who the Lord is and what he has done. This thanksgiving, this thanksgiving that he had, that's why he always includes with thanksgiving. And of course, that very famous and well-known passage in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And I think that echoes back in Paul's thinking and mind of what Christ had done for him. And I think that should be echoing in our hearts and minds also. He was amazed and thankful that Jesus Christ chose him. He spent the remainder of his life learning, who are you, Lord? That was his motivation. And of course, I have to ask you, is that, is that your motivation to pray? Is that your motivation to pray? Many people, people speak of prayer and praying, but how many people know with Paul, Christ in me, the hope of glory? See, this is something that never leaves you, never leaves you. You're always answering the question with Paul, who are you, Lord? It's at the heart of your prayer, my prayer, our prayer. It's the foundation of our life. Who is the one who serves as the touchstone for your uh, world, that unchanging person that's always there? Who do you call upon when Colossians chapter 3 falls apart? Wives don't love their husbands and husbands don't love their wives and children don't respect their parents and fathers exasperate their children and there's messed up relationships at workplaces. Who do you call upon when you're the victim of some of these injustices or when you see them who do you talk to it's Jesus Christ he's the ultimate person our hope of glory our treasure in earthen vessels as it was for Paul so it is for us Jesus Christ you see works in our hearts this desire to pray it's not something we have to conjure up it's something that we are we belong to the Lord, and, and, and we know that He is the one we have to call upon. He is the one who can help us. He is the only one who can, can really help us. <clears throat> so if you have Christ, you will desire to pray. Prayer is a joy and a privilege. Now prayer, I have to say that it will be difficult at times. And it is difficult to stay focused and concentrate and pray. But since you know the Lord, you know He wants you to come to Him in prayer. And with this in mind, Paul's other exhortations are not so overwhelming. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This means to continue with intense effort, even if it's difficult to devote yourself, to keep on, to persist in. Romans 12.12 has the same word. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Devote yourself to prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So praying at all times with prayer and supplication. 
Pray that you would pray more. Pray that you would pray and pray and, and don't ever stop praying. Pray at all times. But you see, that's not so hard when you know the Lord, when, when, when you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, this treasure and earthen vessel. And that's what I see in the, the life of the Apostle Paul. Be watchful in prayer. Stay awake. Be in continuous readiness, alert, vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's like you're standing guard. Uh, it, it reminds me of the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You see, you're, 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 you're like a guard at the rampart, standing guard. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. Do not lead my brothers and sisters into temptation. Protect the church. Protect your people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So... Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. But don't see this as a burden. If you know the Lord, He wants you to come to Him. He said, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, you shall ask what you will and you shall have it. What a promise. Why don't I pray more? (laughs) It's because I'm distracted by the world. But I go out and get messed up and dirtied up by this world. But Jesus always wants me and wants you, if you know Him, to come back and to pray. And if you don't know Him, He wants you to know Him. He's calling you to come to him. So we see that our motivation in prayer is thanksgiving for Christ in me. But then also we see our dependence in prayer. Or you could say our attitude as we pray. What keeps us praying, our motivation, our dependence in prayer. Our attitude as we pray. Paul says there in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us. At the same time, Paul was a multitasker. Since you're praying anyway, since you're praying at all times with prayer and supplication, praying that you'll pray, here, please pray for me. Now, this is interesting because at the beginning of Colossians, Paul says, uh, uh, we pray for you, Colossians. We pray for you. And there's a wonderful prayer there in chapter 1 and verse 9. And now he's saying, please pray for us. Please pray for us. Pray for us also. What? That God may open to us a door for the word. You see, Paul realized his dependence on the Lord. So he asked them to pray. He wants the Colossian church to pray for the promotion of the word of God, the advancement of the word of God, the the furtherance of the word, the spreading of the word, the publication, the proclamation of the word of God everywhere. You see, Paul's gospel was not accepted everywhere. Paul depended on God the Spirit to open doors and direct his travels through Asia Minor as he preached the gospel and planted churches. I think a good example of this is found in Acts chapter 16 where Paul uh, is traveling with his entourage and Luke records that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed by Mysia, went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. The Macedonian man in the vision speaks to Paul and says, Come and help us. 
And so they go to Macedonia, and that's where the ministry to the church of Corinth takes place. Paul is there for quite a while and establishes the church, and thus we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So Paul, doors were closed as he went to bring the word of God. But the door was open in Corinth, and God gave him a vision, and he went there. Now, I don't anticipate a vision from God about where to go anytime soon, and I hope you don't either. But we look for opportunities. We look for open doors. And the Lord will lead us and guide us if we trust him and if we believe in his working, his personal working in our lives. So this is true geographically for a nation or a city, but it's also true personally and individually with family and friends and co-workers. You know people, I'm sure people you've been trying to talk to about the Lord Jesus Christ. That when you get close to the subject, they know who you are, they know what you believe, they know you go to church, Maybe you've had opportunity to talk to them before. But when you get a little too close to that subject, religion or Jesus Christ or knowing the Lord, change the subject. Go somewhere else. Don't want to talk about that. I'm thinking of a few people I know right now. And, And you want so much for them to see and to believe that the light of the glorious gospel, that Jesus Christ would shine his light upon them just like he did the Apostle Paul. And the darkness would be dispelled and the blinders would be taken away. And they would see and know the Lord and and they would find out, who are you, Lord? But again, just as with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that I quoted a moment ago, the God of this world had blinded him up until the time of his conversion, so also there's a world of people all around us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We proclaim Jesus Christ, not ourselves, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake, Paul says. For God said... Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I think as Paul wrote those words in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 and following, I I think in his mind he remembered that light on the road to Damascus. I don't think that ever left him. That is what drove him. He met Jesus that day. Remember, a requirement to be an apostle was to meet Jesus. In person. He saw Jesus in person that day. And who knows what transpired when he was blind for those three days before Ananias came and prayed for him. We don't know. We're not told. But we know that Paul is the one who promoted and built the church like no other apostle. All of the apostles had their part. But the apostle Paul, establishing churches around Asia Minor and churches that would spread and grow to what we see in the world today. It was because God had shown the light in his heart, and we're praying that God would shine the light in others' hearts. How do we deal with that blindness and darkness of heart? With our persuasive speech, our convincing logic, our powerful oratory? No, because I'd fail every time. We stumble in our speech. We don't follow and we don't follow up with people. We so how do we overcome this blindness uh, by prayer? Maybe you only get one opportunity with someone or in some place. And it's brief and it's wonderful and they listen for a while. And and you got them thinking. But the next time they don't want to talk to you for whatever reason. 
But you can pray that the Lord would bring someone else into their life. That they See, we have this advantage, you see. We know the one in heaven. And he knows everyone on earth. Go get them, Lord. You send the hound of heaven after them. I'm not, that's what Spurgeon said. He spoke of the hound of heaven. That, that we can pray. That, that God is relentless. That's how he got me. He would not leave me alone. My mind wouldn't. I just finally I had to throw down my hands and surrender. And that's what we need. Those we love. Those we're trying to bring the word of God to. That God would open a door for his word. You see, through prayer, through dependence upon God. See, those are synonyms. If you're praying, you're dependent on God. If you don't pray, you're kind of saying, you know, I can do this. So pray, pray, pray steadfastly. Be watchful. Be thankful as you pray. Don't grow weary in prayer. God never gets tired of you asking. Remember uh, the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18. Jesus said this, told this parable so that... Uh, They would not be discouraged and disheartened, but would pray at all times. The unjust judge who ignored the widow, who was seeking justice against her adversary, um, and the judge wouldn't listen to her, but she kept coming and coming and coming. And finally the judge said, this woman is wearing me out. I will give her what she's asking for. And then the moral of it is, Jesus says, "If the learn the lesson of the unjust judge. If... If an unjust judge will give a widow, an old widow, you know, what she wants, how much more will God give his elect what they seek him for? You see the greater to lesser argument there. The God of heaven wants to save people. He wants to use your prayers to save them. That God would open a door to do what? To declare the mystery of Christ. Now, this has been spoken of a bit already in Colossians, but, but just real quickly, what is this mystery of Christ? I think Paul summarizes in Ephesians uh, very well that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Um, it is, again, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Christ comes. Part of See, the mystery is... In one aspect, it's been hidden before, but now it's revealed. In another aspect, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, dwelling within the believer. But what really got Paul in trouble was that it was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. See, Paul was answering the question, who are you, Lord? He was thankful. He had this treasure in earthen vessels. He had Christ dwelling in and with him. And he preached this and brought this everywhere. But then God, by his spirit, it made it very clear that it was not just for the Jews. It was for all the world. It was for anyone who would believe. Now, the Jew and Gentile distinction in that day doesn't mean a whole lot to us today. It was the distinction in those days. But So what does this mean for us today? It means that the gospel is for Anyone who will believe, anywhere you go, anybody you talk to, if you bring the gospel to them and they believe that gospel, they receive the Holy Spirit, the same grace, and there is no distinction. There is no Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian or slave or free or male or female. Anybody who believes 
And that is profound. And that's what we see in heaven in the book of Revelation when the the elders and the angelic beings are singing around the throne after Jesus takes the scroll from one, the one who sits on the throne. He, they say, you are worthy to take the scroll. Open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. The saints sing out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1.15, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have to acknowledge it was to the Jews first, but it was also to the Gentiles. It was never meant to be just to the Jews, but it was not for the Jews alone. The Spirit of God would come to any who would believe. That was always God in God's intent. And this is why when Peter went and preached at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, after Peter had a vision of the the sheet coming down from heaven and all the unclean things on the sheet, and the the vision said, the Lord said to Peter, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And each time, Peter, No, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And that happened three times. And then when Peter is called to go to, to Cornelius' house, the first thing he says, look, I'm really not supposed to be here, all right? It's not lawful for a Jew to be in a Gentile's house, but I've had this vision, you see? And so what do you guys want? And Cornelius says, we understand that you have a message. And he preached the gospel to them that Jesus is the Messiah sent by the God of heaven, the God of the Jews. And... <laughs> They believed, and upon believing, they all received the Holy Spirit. All of them. All of the Gentiles. And (laughs) Peter, uh, later on, he reports this to uh, the leaders in Jerusalem and tells the whole story, and they all stop and say, "Well, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance to life. Wow. You know, and it's still true today, but it's not just Jew-Gentile. It's anybody that you... Do you realize the wonder of that? The power of the gospel that we have? That's why people go to foreign lands. Uganda. That's why people are in... in, That's why the weavers are in, who knows, Morrison, Canada, trying to bring the gospel to these folks there. It's a small work, but it's the work of God. They have the power of the gospel, you see. And it's what's going on in Spain with the Barcelos and with the Leightons and, and also the Phillips and, and different people and in, in Israel uh, with Abraham and Sarah. All of the different efforts to bring this word, it's because it's powerful and it can change anyone. If there's breath, there's hope. You see. And this is why Paul was in prison. This is why he suffered so much because he brought this. The Jews resisted this to the very end, to the destruction of their own country, their own temple at Masada. They would not accept, they refused to accept that the Gentiles had the same standing in grace as they did, that they had the promises of God, that they had the commonwealth and and membership in God's kingdom. And Paul depended on God to open this door. See, when you face that kind of opposition, there's only one way the word of God's going to come. And that's if you pray for God to open a door, that this mystery will come, and that you can speak and make it clear in the way that we ought to speak, you see. 
That's what Paul is praying for. That's what he's asking the Colossians to pray for. That's what he's asking us to pray for. We are dependent upon the Spirit of God to know how and where to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, like Paul, must pray for an open door from God to declare this mystery. We will face opposition. We will face opposition for declaring that all who believe have equal standing in the grace of God. That from the least to the greatest... And I think it particularly would be difficult trying to talk someone who's great, a rich person, a leader in politics. You can have the grace of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. (laughs) They don't need Jesus Christ. What do they need Jesus Christ for? That's what the gospel is for. That's what the word of God is for. And if God will open a door, the rich or the poor, the high or the low can all believe. So our motivation in prayer, what keeps us praying, is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our dependence on prayer, our attitude as we pray, is that we can't do this alone. It's not up to me how well I speak, how well you speak. It's not how well of a linear argument I can, I can place onto someone and corner them. Uh, I'm not supposed to debate people. I'm supposed to present the Word of God and and, and let the Word of God do its work because it is God's Word. And then finally, we see what I see here is our responsibility in prayer or how we should pray. We need to know from the Lord where to bring His Word and where not to, where and when how to and how not to. So what do we do? We need wisdom from God. And Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. How do we obtain wisdom? When you think of the wise sage James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all who ask without reproach, and it will be given him only ask without doubting. Ask for wisdom from God. Toward outsiders, who are the outsiders? That's a thorny question, isn't it? But in this context, it's really very simple. It's those who are outside the church. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 13, the whole of 1 Corinthians 5 has to do with the issue of discipline in Corinth where a a man was in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother, uh, some some uh, inordinate wrong relationship, and uh, the church was not dealing with it, and so Paul said, "Put this one outside the church, and don't fellowship with him." Now I'm not telling you not to fellowship with everyone outside the church. Uh, then you would have to go out of the world. But for the sake of uh, the destruction of the flesh. Deliver this one over to Satan, Paul says, outside the church. So Paul makes this distinction between outside and inside the church. Outside the church, church discipline doesn't apply, you see, but inside the church. So the person who is unrepentant and at the end of the system and process of church discipline is to be put out to the outside world for the destruction of the flesh. So those are the outsiders. We need wisdom of God from God in order to know how to reach those outside the church. And we must make the best use of the time. Do it with intensity, urgency, 
making full advantage of every opportunity. Buy out the time. Don't waste time on closed doors. You pray for open doors. Well, if you know a door is closed, don't waste time there. Uh, Pray for that closed door and and move on. Move on. Make good use of the time. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how to walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do we live in evil days? I think we do. We've always lived in evil days, but I don't know. They seem to be particularly evil to me. Um, so we need wisdom for God, from God so we know how to appeal to those outside so we can walk in wisdom toward them, making the best use of the time. <clears throat> but how do we conduct ourselves as we interact with outsiders? And, and this is where I think... Uh, we need to have a winsome and appealing attitude and spirit of, of how um, it's our responsibility to walk in this heavenly wisdom, uh, that our speech would be gracious, that our words would display the grace we've received from Christ. I've been forgiven by God. I have the grace of Christ. Should I be gracious to others? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, that I would have the fruit of the Spirit about me as I bring the word of Christ. I'm reminded of what Paul says to his uh, apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24. A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, apt to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those who are in opposition, that perhaps God will grant them repentance and they might recover themselves from the snare of the devil People out there are in the snare of the devil for a a thousand different reasons, a thousand different angles of deception and blindness and darkness that the the God of this world can, can lock people into. But if we can be meek and kind and gentle and instruct in a winsome way and point them to the cross, point them to Jesus Christ, tell them about the light that can come into their hearts and, and open their eyes and take away the blinders. Um, And our speech is seasoned with salt not corrupting speech, but preserving speech. Um, we do not let any corrupt talk come out of our mouths, Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. If our speech is characterized this way by grace and a preserving influence, then we're in a place, you see, that perhaps we can win them. Perhaps God will grant them repentance. We need to walk in wisdom this way so we know how we ought to answer each person. So our motivation in prayer is Christ in me, the hope of glory, with the Apostle Paul, which started with him on the road to Damascus. Our dependence in prayer is, Lord, open a door for the mystery of Christ, the word of Christ, to go out, the gospel. Our responsibility in prayer is to walk in heavenly wisdom and pray in a way that appeals to people. And I think it's important that Paul says those last two words to answer each person. Each person is different. Each place is different. People are different from you and me. People are different from me. But we are all created in God's image. However broken or tainted or shattered or dark, someone you might meet, someone really down and out, 
uh, or even someone high and living large, we're all created in the image of God, and God has created us to respond to his word. So we as believers have this advantage, you see. Sometimes all I get to say to people is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's enough light and power in those words to convert a whole world. And the Spirit of God can come and convict and shine light, and that person can be converted. And the light can come, and they can, for, with the Apostle Paul and with all of us, answer this question, Who are you, Lord? So we could come to know the one who speaks from the light, the light speaker, the one who gives life and immortality, the one who will come again and take us to himself. And if you have not seen the light, there's another phrase that gets thrown around, but in light of what we're looking at here, that is profound. Paul saw the light, and Christ spoke to him from the light. If you have not seen the light, pray to Jesus. He won't turn you away. And if you have seen the light, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for the promotion of the word of God, that God would open a door, that the mystery of Christ would be declared. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It's so simple, Lord. Plain, as right there on the page. And yet it's so profound. You have captivated our hearts. We are no longer our own, but we belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be about your great commission. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, instructing them in whatsoever things I have taught you. For, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.